0: On September 11, 2001, terrorists attacked the United States in the deadliest terror attack in US history. This week, retired officer Erica Luna and Lieutenant Rob Corbett, two New York officers who responded to the attacks on the World Trade Center that day, share their stories with the Testament via telephone in this episode, remembering 9-11 20 years later.
1: So we were all on 9-11 the morning of, we were home, and then um, I was home specifically, and we saw what happened, and we all got um, ordered in. Well, we knew we had to go in regardless, Um, and we were all held. I was working in police service area number seven, which is um, housing. It covers uh, public housing and everyone from all the different boroughs. um, Manhattan got hit first in terms of deployment. They were those that were down there and those that were ordered um, down there. And then the hierarchy was like, hold off. Um, There's too many people down here. They didn't know if there were gonna be other explosions and what have you, and they had us on standby. Then um, in the days following, they had us down, uh, going down exactly to the World Trade Center site and digging through debris and like a bucket brigade, sorry. And we were all like, just kind of like a line, a line of um, men and women just sifting through, trying to find uh, proof of life. And just to give you an idea, I know we've all seen things on television, but it was something out of a Mad Max movie mm-hmm. when you went down there in person. Um, just a very surreal, eerie. Um, I mean, it, for the most part, all the first re- responders and the firemen, um, we were all on on pilot mode. You know, so it wasn't like um, anything out of the ordinary, but I distinctly recall it feeling like, oh my God, the only thing that I thought of was this is something out of a Mad Max movie. It's just weird. And you could still smell, they were still putting out fires. And that that, that was basically it. And between that and also the Staten Island landfill, that's where um, my, my comrades and I would get sent. Um, I'd go along with the sergeant and a group of us, but there we had more protective gear. There we had more... Um, Like the not the uh, not the hazmat suits, but we'd wear like the just like a whole white, um, almost like a painter suit. That's what they had us in for for that, and we had more um, more equipment in terms of masks.
2: So like a Tyvek suit.
1: Yeah, but just like the plane, not nothing, not the hazmat one that you know I've been fitted for, and and that's totally different. But they did give us more protective gear for that, but. It was so, just it, it was a very uh, surreal, weird experience. What, what was your normal assignment? Uh, well, we worked patrol. Right. I was um, a, a patrol uh, cop and I worked four to twelves. And then during 9-11, it was no, uh, it, there was nothing normal about it because you oh, yeah, have sure. days off. Um, RDOs were canceled and you were working probably 15, 16 hour days. at at bare minimum and not including travel time. And it was like a, just uh, a group. Like you had older people, you had seasoned veterans and you had um, brand new babies. Like I had started in 2000. So I was like um, brand spanking new at that time.
2: Mm -hmm. Was your summit on Manhattan Island?
1: Um, It was, um, that's where we got sent. So anybody that was working um, down in ground zero, it was either ground zero or it was a subsequent street very nearby that was affected as well that's where they would send us as a deployment so it wasn't like we were doing our regular day-to-day um so the, you know the the command at a command level they decide who would go down so we we were sent down quite frequently from uh, Police Service Area 7, and it wasn't just myself, they designated supervisor to go down with us, and it was people, it was citywide. it wasn't just people that worked in Manhattan, mm-hmm. it was people from all the different boroughs that were sent down there. So people from Brooklyn would, would go, people from Staten Island, it was just, they would try to swap out the, the manpower, but for the most part, a, a lot of us got sent there. Mm-hmm. And so, of course the elite units as well. So yeah. like emergency service unit, which is our version of SWAT and right. FD.
2: So mm-hmm. prior prior to nine eleven, but I mean, what was your regular assignment when you were in patrol? Where where was that?
1: Oh, in the South Bronx. I was working in the South Bronx. So um great group of guys and gals and, mm-hmm. and a very high crime area, you know. Um so we covered public housing.
2: And your regular shift was in the middle of the night. I'm guessing, being Yes, brand so I, um, I,
1: I. was working four buys, which is um, the, the the evening shift, four to twelve. And right. uh, it was a a, a very active uh, environment in terms of uh, crime and whatnot. Okay. I learned so, a lot. Listen, of all the places oh yeah, I have I worked, and I, I worked in every <laughs> in every single borough. That that was. Um, I worked with the greatest group of of men and women. I had the best supervisor on the planet, uh, Thomas McSweeney, he taught me everything I know. Um, I sing his praises, he's uh, retired now as well. And um, he didn't hold me by the hand, I told him I need to learn how to do everything independently Mm -hmm. and he made sure that that I did.
2: Yeah, so you got off at what time in the morning then? Oof. Uh, on 9/11, wow. so, before you um, went home.
1: Oh, we—I don't even remember what time we were sent home that night. Um, we we were held at, I think, on, on a borough level. Um, people that were um, held held over. I don't remember how many hours they kept us, and then before getting released, but then it was to to return back. It was kind of like, um, you were basically living. It's like anytime there's like a high scale event. Uh, like our um, like Hurricane Sandy, those were times that you know you're working around the clock, and uh, you know your family can't depend on on you coming home because you're not you right.
2: just around the clock. So the I'm talking about the the night before nine eleven. So
1: oh, the night before yeah, so was, a Monday night. I Did you work home. that Monday night? Um, so
2: I worked that Monday night and I remember getting off, going home, going to bed. And then my wife woke me up with everything that's going on. Did you television, work? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Did you work the, um, the shift before nine 11 that I, Monday night? Do you
1: know, I I'm sure I did, but I don't remember yeah. if I was RDO or if I worked, I remember getting a call from my mom in Florida, mm-hmm. like turned to my mom called me first before we got the calls from the commands. Mm. Erica, turn on the television. What is going on in New York? And my mom, um, my mom lived in Florida, Southwest Florida. And mm. she's like, what is going on over there? And then she was the first call. And then I was I was asleep. So I'm sure yeah. I probably did work the the night before. And then I'm like, oh my God. And then um, we all knew, we all start calling each other. And there's like, um, yep, we're all getting ordered in. And we knew. Yeah, and, so and tell we, me a
2: little more we about that. Tell me a little more about, Um, okay, so your mom calls and I'm sure there's a range of emotions going on with her right now. I mean, obviously something's happening in New York. You're a New York police officer. (laughs) Um, I'm sure that, yeah. So then tell me what's going on in your mind. I mean, you know, obviously you're going to get deployed, but what's happening in your thought process?
1: Well, I don't know if anybody else felt like that, but I, 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 when I saw like, I think one tower had gotten hit. I'm thinking that tower's coming down and I don't know why. I, I really did feel like it was coming down. Mm. It just, um, and, and I have no engineering, um, uh, structural engineering degree. I don't, I just felt like that was coming down. And mm. it's like, I'm, my mom is not a nervous Nellie. I think my mom's always been, I don't think, I know, um, she's passed now. I just lost her this year. Um, but she went to her homecoming, um, with, w- with, with our heavenly father and, that's always put me at ease she's never been nervous about uh me working as a police officer didn't matter what capacity if I was in a a decent environment and if I was in a high crime environment but I could tell she was nervous and she's not typically a nervous person over the phone Mm. and she's like what is going what is going on down there turn on your television and I was dead sleep because I would sleep in in the morning. And I'm just like, wow, that's crazy. But I really felt like in my spirit that that tower was coming down. Mm -hmm. And I had visited that. um, I had visited the World Trade Center as a child. I had visited as an adult. That was like the thing to do. I grew up in lower Manhattan. Um, I had been to a restaurant uh, called Windows on the World. Uh, that had like, um, you could have dinner there. They had like a little bit of uh, after work. It was the after work crowd from lower Manhattan that would attend. And this is all even before I was uh, an active member of the service. And yeah, I mean, it's just, it's one of those situations that I I go to the monitoring appointments every year, but you, you, you don't think of that. And I think the, the The only time that I really think about it is when you hear more and more people that you, you work with, whether, you know, them or you don't, because we have over 40,000 members that have died. 9-11 related.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, so your mom gives you the call and then you realize that you're going to have to go into work and a lot of, a lot of of emotions going on at this point in time, but, um, you know, you knew you were going to go into work. Did you just start getting ready to go or did you actually start getting the calls?
1: Yeah. No, no, no. I was already en route um (laughs) when I got called from from admin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so
2: so tell me then, um, when you get on to when you get to Manhattan there. Um, I, I guess, did you already have a reporting station? They already told you where to go to report it? No, again, they, made
1: us, they made us go to the borough, the, okay. the Bronx borough. So I believe it was at the 4-8. They had everybody that worked in the Bronx report to the borough. Okay. So um, that's how they decided to do things. And they did not send us down on um, day one. I believe they sent us down. Now that was my next question is if you went down right. on the first day. No, they yeah. had us on standby. They had us on standby. They had a lot of different units on standby. But when I tell you that the fires were still burning.
2: So if you're on standby, you're all just, you're all, I mean, everyone's just hanging around at the Bronx. You're ready Uh, to go down and
1: you have no idea and everybody's anxious to go down and they're telling you no.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So day two, I guess, um, I mean, did y'all even go home that night or just stay in the boroughs or what?
1: I don't remember the exact, um, shift, I know they had us working probably anywhere from 15, 18 hour days. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there was enough time. And there were people that had to like stay at the commands, especially people that live in upstate New York. I happen to live in the borough and meaning not Manhattan at the time, I was living in the Bronx in the Northwest, closer to Yonkers, which I know that doesn't help if you're not (laughs) familiar with the area, but not too far. And and I was able to commute um back and forth. Yeah. But it we, it was basically a time where we were like living at work.
2: Yeah. So tell me about day 2, whenever you whenever they took you to the to the ground zero there. So
1: so day 2 was pretty much the the same setup if I'm not mistaken I specifically went down on the 13th. And that day they had me go down to it was, oh, I'm trying to think of the street. I can't remember the street, but it was definitely, like, at the exact site mm. where debris was everywhere. Um Fires were burning. We were literally just lined up, like, it didn't matter. There was no... um um, I they, they were, there was leadership in the sense of telling us um, where to go, but you basically went wherever and you sifted through wherever. There was one specific spot where the towers came down, where they were only allowing um, ESU personnel mm-hmm. in that um, specific area, which is again, our um, SWAT, mm-hmm. but they had us all lined up and basically just passing buckets. Mm-hmm. Trying to um, trying to um, ascertain, trying to see if there was proof of life, and if we did find any type of body parts, um, that was going to go into a makeshift morgue. Where, grace of God, um, we had members of the service that, prior to becoming cops, they had actually had their like funeral director license or um, for any MOS that worked in a different state or, or country, for that matter, and became US citizens and became law enforcement, they, they were um, assigned to work at the makeshift morgue that they had. Mm. And that was basically tagging. And, and let me tell you, um, um, body parts, because I, I was able to see um, pictures that were taken from people that were specifically working in that area, you would never in a million years be able to identify right. um, that that was actually a face. Right. I had it been shown to an average person, like look at this picture and what do you see? Mm. You wouldn't be able to make up. And it was just that level of expertise where they knew exactly what it was because they had handled the remains specifically. And they were just tagging um, for the purposes of, um vouchering for for lack of a better term mm-hmm. but that very um very distinct um uh, mood of course you know we make the best of the worst of situations um i worked with a very i was in a very close-knit um housing unit we all worked together band of the hand because it was high crime even if there were any types of interpersonal conflict, people were were tight as glue, and we were very, um, we, we always had each other's backs. And being in that type of environment, you know, we would try to make light of things, but I think it was a very somber, it was yeah. a very somber um, mood, I remember that.
0: Yeah.
2: So how many days were you sifting through rubble? Oh, enough days.
1: listen, enough days that, um, that grace of God I'm alive, but I have a slew of ailments mm. that, um, I, I do not receive and father God has a hedge of protection over me because they, they, they're ailments and I'm still able to push forward and I'm still able, um, to handle my cardiovascular, um, affairs and I like to, I pride myself on taking care of myself and I'm still working out and I I make that a top priority because I have two blessings, uh, a 13 year old and a 15 year old son. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm looking to stick around as long as um, God will allow me to be here.
2: So uh, post 9-11, what's the attitude and the atmosphere been like in New York? for the officers. I mean, I would imagine like shortly after 9-11, quite possibly every airplane that ever flew over made everyone nervous for a little while. Um, you know, and then there's, you guys have now one of the most robust intelligence units in, in the world um, with regard to law enforcement. And so, you know, all that spun, spun out of 9-11. You continue to be a, you know, New York continues to be a target um, all the time. Of, of different types of attacks or attempted attacks so what's the mood um, since 9-11 amongst the officers in New York um, do you think that things changed since 9-11 the way that you respond to stuff and the training that you get and, and all those things
1: I, I think that most Most people that work during 9-11, a lot of the members have retired. There's only probably, and I don't don't have the stats on it. I'd say there's like definitely under 300 and I could be mistaken there. Um, But I don't remember, and I can't speak um, about the department as a whole. I don't remember being fearful of airplanes at all. I, I can tell you that um, I think we we have not only great intelligence, but we work in, in conjunction with other agencies, mm-hmm. which I think um, gives us um, nationwide um, the, the upper hand when it comes to certain things. And I can also tell you that when I was working in a strategic response group, I was actually in an administrative capacity, but there was um, one incident where I was working out in the field and we recently, I'm, I, I can't remember the exact year, but several years ago there was uh, uh, an attack on 23rd street, which is Manhattan as well. This is below 34th street, which just to give you uh, a staple like Macy's where we have like our Thanksgiving parade. Mm-hmm. This is just uh, a few blocks South of that. And that that was um you know that i can honestly tell you we thought wow again like a terror attack and i i, I do believe that there was an arrest made on that but there was a, a secondary device mm-hmm. so those are the things now that post 9 11 like we don't take for granted the second that there is like any type of explosion or weed or we think that something can be um, terror-related, or or not. It could just be a um, it could be a, a single terrorist that um, just wants to cause fear amongst the uh, the citizens of of New York City. It's like okay, this is happening, but we have to keep looking. You know, this is um or, or setting up perimeters, making sure that you don't um, lose more people than need be making sure that, um, knowing, okay, you don't want to set up right at the site because you know that they're going to try to take out, um, EMS personnel, mm-hmm. FDNY personnel. And, and that was, I think the, the learning curve there, not that you ever want to learn things the hard way, but, um, that's why so many people perished. And when I here a Monday morning quarterback, right, that, that wasn't <laughs> yeah. the intent. Nobody was equipped for that, but we, we brought in, um, masterminds. Like my agency has done a a phenomenal job making sure that um, we work in conjunction with other agencies and that we do um, stay on top to make sure that social media accounts are being monitored to ensure that people aren't, um, that we don't um, allow ourselves to be susceptible again. And can it happen? Absolutely. Can it happen at any time when you least expect it? Yes. And that's why being prepared is very
2: important. Right. Good word. So um, were you a, a religious person on nine eleven at the same time? Or did that come later?
1: Uh, well, no, no, I was raised. Um, I had um, generational blessings. I had uh, a, a, gr- a praying grandmother. I had a praying great grandmother. I had a praying mother, <laughs> um, which is probably why she was very like she wasn't the type that needed to converse with me on a daily basis. Cause yeah. she was like, God yeah. has you on the palm of his hands. I'm not worried about you. I'm not worried at all. You have a hedge of protection over you. And I would say, mom, how come you don't call? Like you don't, aren't you? You work? <laughs> She's like, no, no, I'm not. Honestly, I'm not, which is why, um, that call was different because that, that did, um, um, the, the nine eleven morning that was the one of the few times few times that I ever kind of sensed that she was uh, a bit worried but it wasn't just for me it was for everybody right and uh, I I grew up um attending a very small close-knit um I was uh, Pentecostal so you know we're 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 crazy for Jesus <laughs> but it was it, we really are but it was very um and for those of the Pentecostal denomination listening, I promise you, please forgive me if I've offended anyone, but we really are crazy for Jesus. Um, it was a, a very small church, and I remember feeling like when I I got older, I said, I'm thinking Proverbs 22. This is what I had the, the audacity to hit my mother with. And I go, Mom, thank you so much for instilling um the love of of Jesus the love of God in my heart i got it but the church was so um it was so strict it was um what we call rahatabla, like really really strict in terms of um rules and 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 doctrines and and you couldn't do and it was very bible based also but um i wasn't allowed certain things and and it's funny that i thought i was missing something so i backslid i totally did and then Grace of God, uh, a, a lieutenant comes in my midst, female lieutenant, who's like, um, "Hey, what's going on with you?" And she, she took a liking to me, and I, I appreciate her. Till this day, we're friends, and, and she, and she got me going back. And I actually, till this day, I attend the church in in the South Bronx. Ironically enough, still the same denomination. But it's more, we just lost our senior pastor this year as well and and that's a huge loss that we're taking. but it, it's one thing he's always said, which it, it, it really sinks in and, and he says, it's not about religion. It's about developing a personal relationship with Christ, Mm -hmm. that is what I want for all of you. So it's not about being spoon fed scriptures, because if I went to a church and I just attended on a Sunday and I just listened to the good word, but I have a Bible in my house and I'm letting it collect dust, it serves me no purpose. Mm -hmm. And I need to open up and I I need to study the word from beginning to end and ask for discernment if I don't understand something And I am so grateful to her. And I tell her, you know, um, the angels were celebrating because you brought me back. And I'm, when I tell you, (laughs) my life did a a complete 180 and, and, and and it was, it was all, (laughs) all for good because we think we don't, we think we can put him on a shelf and only look for him when we need him. but we need him all the time, all the time. And and, and and life got so much sweeter, so much sweeter when I allowed him back into my heart and he mm. allowed me grace of God. Mm. One thing I didn't answer is in New York, we had a lot of love subsequent um, a- after the, the 9-11 happened. There was a lot of love and support for our, our first responders, especially law enforcement. Mm. That has subsided dramatically. And it, and it is hurtful for any of my active brethren, and I don't I don't care. Um, this has nothing to do with rank and file. Mm-hmm. For every member of the service, it is a horrible thing. Mm-hmm. And 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 please pray for our military and pray for our law enforcement because they are hurting and they feel neglected and mm-hmm. underappreciated. And there's a very high suicide rate, and we have to pray for them and and pray for more resiliency. And pray that they come to know the love of Jesus.
2: Yeah, great word. Erica Luna, thank you so much for being on this and sharing with us today.
1: Thank you guys so much. Have a beautiful day.
3: Really funny, friendly. And he had just transferred the Transit District 2, which is one of our transit you know, commands. And that command, like the station house for that transit command, is in the Canal Street uh, seat. C train station. So that's near court. And I thought, you know, I'm going to get off on canal street and see if Grady's around. So I was riding the C train downtown. I was wearing a a suit. Um, I had no radio. Um, I, I, you know, no armor. No, I I really, I had, I had my off duty five shot 38. That's it. And I'm heading downtown to court and um, I see two cops in uniform running on the train, like toward my car. And I'm like, uh, I'm in the first car of the train. You can't go past me and there's nothing going on. Why are they running this way? Mm -hmm. So as they get into the car, I hear their radios and I hear people like screaming into the radio. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what, what's going on? So I'm just thinking, you know, maybe a cop's, you know, in a fight Mm -hmm. and we pull into Canal Street and they leave the station. Um, and, and they go running and I don't think much else of it. You know, it happens from time to time. We have a, you know, uh, a ton of cops in New York. Um, so, so I don't feel the need to run with them. I don't know where they're going. Yeah. Um, you know, and I go up to the, uh, the transit, transit district two station to look for my friend, Sergeant Grady. And I go into the station house and I, and I can't remember. I think it was a cop and a sergeant behind the desk, maybe. And they have these looks on their face and I'm like, uh, Hey guys, uh, Mike Grady around. And they're like, uh, they have these weird looks, like I said, and they're, and they're kind of staring blankly and they go, oh, no, he's at the, uh, he's at the trade center. And I'm, I'm kind of in my head going, all right. See you later, guys. <laughs> like what's going on here? Yeah. So, so I go upstairs, I'm leaving the train station. I go upstairs and I see the first tower is hit mm. and it's probably like 10 blocks from me. So I, um, so I can see that it's hit. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, I wonder, you know, geez, what is that? Like it, it looked, um, it looked like it was, I, I was sitting there trying to figure it out. Was that, was that blown from the inside out? What happened? I, I wasn't thinking plane. Um, but it didn't look like an accident. Mm -hmm. And I'm walking southbound on Broadway, getting closer to it. I got to about Broadway and Worth Street. uh, And then I saw the second explosion. Mm. I don't know if I just wasn't looking up at the time, but I did not see the plane. Now, I was I was to the north of the towers and we know that the second plane came from the south. Right. So it's possible my view was obstructed or I just didn't look up. But I did look up and see the fireball explosion. Mm -hmm. And the the sound was delayed. Um, I wasn't far away, but I want to say there was like a second between the fireball and the ridiculously loud boom um, that came after it. So I had been heading to court, and I thought, all right, well, now we know it's not an accident. Mm -hmm. Um, We're under some kind of attack. And instead of going to court, I'll go to headquarters, which is also right there, because um, I'm sure they're going to muster cops up, put us on on detail rosters and, and have us go help. So I, I ran to headquarters and they were evacuating the building. Uh, they were sending all civilians that worked there home. And they lined the cops up. Now, keep in mind, I'm in a, um, a shirt and tie. Um, I don't have any gear. Um so so we get lined up and they put us into squads of like one sergeant and eight cops and they start to give us assignments. So we were standing around for a while before it got really formalized. I went down to the base of the Brooklyn Bridge and I started helping um you know just sort of direct people to get out uh over the Brooklyn Bridge. So the Brooklyn Bridge became a walkway hmm. and um like thousands of people were just walking out of Manhattan. It was it was pretty pretty creepy looking or uh, mm. that's not the right word. It was, it was, it was eerie, you know, it was very unusual. So, um, nobody would listen to me cause I'm wearing a shirt and tie, yeah. Um, yeah. you know? And, and so I, I thought to myself, all right, I got to get back to headquarters and I have to, there used to be a, a place in headquarters that we call the equipment section where you could buy, you, you know, uniform stuff. Mm. Um, and so I go back to headquarters and I'm I'm walking by, there was a bank of phones, of, of pay phones, for those who remember pay phones. And it uh, was a bank of pay phones. And uh, we, we had cell phones then, uh, but no cameras in them, no apps, not fancy. And nobody could get a signal, um, either because they were overloaded or because there were big cell uh, antennas on the top of the Trade Center and maybe mm-hmm. they were off already. Whatever the case may be, no, nobody could get a call through. Hmm. Even the pay phones, it was hard to get a phone call through. But there was a cop on the phone, a cop in uniform, and he was losing it. Um, he was crying into the phone. He got his, It sounded like he got his wife on the phone, and he was telling her how he nearly died uh, and stuff like that. It was hard to listen to. And uh, anyway, I walked away. Like I was going to you know, talk to him, make sure he was all right, but he was talking to his wife. So I walked away, and I went to the equipment section, and they were kind of closed – you know, like, basically every cop who normally worked inside was thrown out, yeah. you know, to go help. And but, but there was one guy in there, and I said, hey, I either need, like, the bike shirt. Because a bike shirt's like a polo. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got patches on the, sh- on the shoulders, and it says NYPD on the back. Or, like, the windbreaker, the raid jacket. You know, that's kind of same deal. Like, mm-hmm. I said, he, I said you got to hook me up. Now. Nobody can see me. Nobody's listening. And um, so I, I ended up with a bike shirt. I, uh, I think I threw away my um, dress shirt that I was wearing, maybe the tie too. I don't remember. I put the bike shirt on and I went out. At least I was identifiable now. So, so I'm out there, and the first tower comes down, mm. and the dust came far enough that we had to sort of retreat into a housing development that was across the street from headquarters. Um, and then when the dust settled a little bit we got back and I got mustered up and put um, into a station house security detail. So I was on various posts around headquarters for most of of the rest of that first day. Um, uh, I had to have my eyes washed out uh, at least twice from all the dust and and stuff in the air. Um, They did not come out with masks and, and it was wrap masks that didn't really do much until around halfway through the day um and and that was it one of the hardest parts for me that day um was I, i didn't have a radio with me but when i was near other cops who had the radio on um, I, I guess it's different everywhere. I don't know about you guys, but we never used names over the radio, right? right? We, we only used designations and cops were missing. Nobody could find them. So they were actually going over the radio with names, like saying things like the dispatcher would say, officer Jones, officer Smith, you know, 13th precinct. If you're on the air and you can hear this, please call your command. Hmm. So that was, that was woof. Like, you know, you were just like, oh, my God, you know, that's never happened before. Right. Um, yep. and, and you, it started at home that, like, you know, there's cops buried in there, maybe, and, and stuff like that. So um, about halfway through the day, I finally got a cell phone signal through to my voicemail, and I had, like, 30 messages. That was a little tough, too, because... You know, people back at my command knew that I was downtown, um, but they couldn't find me either. I had no radio, and I couldn't get a call through, so there were people crying on my voicemail and stuff like that, and it was it was just tough. So, we got through that day. Um, at the end of the day, I got cut loose from, from headquarters around 11, at night, and I lived in Manhattan. Where um, you know where all this was happening. I lived on 18th Street, hmm. and I, I like I said earlier, I took the train to court. And but the trains were were there were no trains now. You know they weren't running the train lines. We were concerned about more attacks or you know whatever. So there were no trains. I had to walk home from headquarters, which is probably like a three or four mile walk through the streets. It was hmm. half covered in dust, and it was. Uh, the strange walk home, you know, people were staring at me, stuff like that. And then I got to my apartment and I realized I don't want to bring these clothes into my apartment. I, I don't know. That doesn't sound safe. Yeah. So, you know, it was late. Nobody was around. I, I kind of stripped down in my hallway and just left my clothes on the floor. Um, But, but you could, I couldn't sleep. Um, I put the news on, you know, you wanted to hear what else was happening throughout the day. We were here at all kinds of, um bad rumors you know obviously the pentagon happened right and then there was the plane in uh Pennsylvania that they took down into a field i think we heard about the pentagon um now keep in mind i'm sure that others in the police department you know in the in the chain of command and in the command centers and stuff had the the real news but out on the street it was like hey they just took down the uh The the Chicago Tower and, like, all these weird rumors were going around that other things were hitting. We didn't know what was going on. Uh, I also saw fighter jets over the city for the first time. That was really, like, you know, so all those things really started to hit you. So uh, I went home, and that was that. Um, And then then basically the police department went to 12-hour shifts. So instead of a day tour of 4 to 12 and a midnight – we went to 12 hour shifts. So there were only two platoons um, and then no days off for like probably a month. So um, we basically alternated. You'd be at your precinct and one day you'd go downtown. Uh, You might be digging on a pile. You might have a security post around the perimeter of the trade center, you know, or whatever they needed you for. And the next day you might be on patrol in your precinct. Now those first couple of days, you know, we thought we would find people and that we could rescue people. So a lot of us, me included, especially because I lived nearby, I would get done my 12-hour shift and then I would go downtown anyway. Um, so like I, I did a I did one 12-hour shift in the precinct and came home and then dropped my stuff and went down there and just started digging stuff like that. three occasions that i was digging um one day like for instance there was nothing of note but other days you know you, you found things and everything was covered in like dust everything was dust colored so sometimes it took a while <clears throat> you'd be digging and you'd um you know you'd see a toe or, or a finger and you'd be like oh man you know and it, it was hard to identify because again it was everything was covered in dust and it was kind of gray um you did what you had to do and and you found i remember finding a wallet and looking at the person's driver's license and wondering whether they made it you know or not so those things were tough um but we did it we we all stood together uh and, and and i'll never forget the instant solidarity among people there were no political parties there were no colors or races everyone was together and the outpouring from outside you know so So like the first first few days they didn't allow anyone below around 14th street in manhattan unless you had id that said you lived there and then then there was a further cordon they wouldn't allow anyone below say canal street in some cases even if you did live there um it wasn't considered safe there was no power let's say so um so there were no restaurants you know, really open where we were working. And then you like, you saw like a McDonald's truck show up. I mean, an 18 wheeler. Um, and, and then, you know, other, other companies and they, they started sending food and they set up, you know, we took over like a college, like St. St. John's university, downtown campus. Um, and, you know, there was just food everywhere. Um, they, they had boats, uh, like that were normally used as ferries that, that service downtown Manhattan. And they set, set up food on the boats. They set up cots. So you, so if you got like a meal break, you could just go sleep for an hour. There were chiropractors, priests, like people that were just helping. So it was amazing support. Um, and something you'll never forget. So we did what we had to do. And, um, you know news started to come out about you know who was who was really missing. Um, and ultimately, you know, we know that twenty three NYPD cops died that day, thirty seven Port Authority cops, and uh, three hundred and forty three firefighters. and the, the, those numbers were staggering, uh, you know, for whether it's a single incident or otherwise. Now, um, those times were difficult and what a, what a lot of people don't realize now though, is that we're still dying from, from this event. We are now up to 269 NYPD cops who have died from 9-11 illnesses over the last 20 years. And that number is going to be higher. That's the number of NYPD cops who've died and their 9-11 status is approved. There's more who are sick. There's more who might be waiting for approval and things like that. And I would imagine that FD's number is even higher.
2: Yeah, Lieutenant, um, that's one of the questions I had too. Is there, are, you know, I, I believe I remember seeing that these things are being covered, right? These these illnesses yes. are, yeah.
3: So, so there is a list of certified, um, you know, World Trade Center, you know, conditions or ailments. Right. I have three of them, so I go to the World Trade Center clinic every year for an annual health exam. Okay. Uh, and I have now, um, the chronic rhinitis. I couldn't breathe through my nose anymore. Um, and I, I had surgery on it and they covered it all. No co It doesn't go through your health insurance. Um, and then sleep apnea came along and that's another world trade center illness. Um, and, and, and some people go sleep apnea. How could that be a world trade center thing? I've, I've actually had some people, sort of have the attitude of, I'm not just making stuff up.
2: You know what I mean? Right.
3: But um, they believe that all of the stuff in the buildings, you know, asbestos, whatever it may be, that we breathed in down there, weakened the muscles, I guess, in the esophagus or whatever, can cause sleep apnea. And then now I have acid reflux as well, another World Trade Center. So thank God for me, nothing deadly
2: yeah
3: um but but like I said we're up to 269 in the NYPD who died of 9-11 related cancers and things like that so you know it, it seems like every day now I see a post on Facebook or somewhere you know about a retired cop dying of a 9-11 cancer and you just you can't help but be scared that you're next mm-hmm. you know so I guess that's uh Kind of the gist of the
2: story. Um, yeah, so let me ask you: since nine eleven, so as an officer moving up through the ranks for the past twenty years, what has been the attitude of the New York Police Department? I mean, I, I would, I like it did across the country. It changed the way that we respond to things, the training that we've been through, and you know the different things that are going on. I know in New York, built one of the most robust intelligence sections in the world. Um, so for you guys, for the past twenty years. What's changed since nine eleven?
3: Well, you're absolutely right. <clears throat> the way we respond to incidents has completely changed, um, and and you're also right about our intelligence. Uh, our intelligence division was always a, a solid uh, piece of the police department, but now it's uh, as far as police departments go, kind of a mind-numbing um, accomplishment i guess yeah
2: absolutely.
3: Um, that, that we're proud of we have i don't know if you're familiar with the term skiff you're, you're involved in intel aren't you a little bit yes Canterrasy yes stuff. yes so we ha- we have a skiff mm-hmm. um at nypd headquarters for those who aren't familiar i remember correctly it stands for secure pure compartmentalized information or intelligence or something Correct. it's basically a top se- top secret vault yes. right so yeah. i think we're the only police department municipal police department in the country that has a skiff we have a skiff at, at NYPD headquarters that was approved by the by the federal government and mm-hmm. um we have detectives from our intelligence division stationed all over the world we have detectives in Canada Spain Germany France London um you know, in, in some of the uh, Middle Eastern countries, mm-hmm. um, who are there as intel liaisons to more quickly share intel with uh, you know allies and partners around the globe. We have had some some real success stories through that program, um, terror-related and otherwise. Um, one one prime example, uh, you know, is just. You know, force protection or, or uh, you know, target hardening. Headquarters, for instance, um, it's a very big building at our, our headquarters. It's, uh, if you ca- count the basements, it's probably around 17 stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a couple of thousand people, you know, working at headquarters. And, um, you know, you used to be able to drive right up to headquarters and just park right in front of it. Uh, in fact, there used to be a municipal parking garage open to the public right next to headquarters. And that went five stories underground. Hmm. Um, we took that over at, uh, that's no longer a public parking garage. It's now a headquarters parking garage. We put up del- active Delta barriers all around the area. Um, in fact, we've been sued a handful of times because we closed streets in the area. You can't get near headquarters now with a, with a car or a truck bomb. Um, so we, we we've done an awful lot of target hardening around the city. Um, we started putting an awful lot more cameras around around lower Manhattan um, after that. Um, so yeah, there's been an awful lot of a lot of changes um, in the in the aftermath of 9 eleven.
2: Yeah Well, I appreciate your 25 years of service. Um, Thank you. Many of us law enforcement across the country just sat and watched televisions while you guys lived it in uh in ground zero so um you know we appreciate you i know a lot of law enforcement officers across the country went to new york that day or that the the days following um to assist you guys but uh, i think most of that was just perimeter security or street closures and things like that i don't think any of our right outside agencies were actually sifting through the rubble like you were so um i appreciate your um I want to say heroism, but uh, being a law enforcement officer, I know how you feel about that word. So, um, yeah. but um, anyway, so thanks for doing this show with us. I appreciate it.
3: Yeah, I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me.
2: Lieutenant Rob Corbett, New York Police Department.
0: So, Jeff, you were a police officer on 9-11. Um, mm-hmm. Can you tell me what you remember about that day?
2: Yeah, I was actually working midnight shift on that one. So um, we got off at 6 a.m. and I remember... I don't know why I remember this, but uh, I remember the last thing that happened before I left the parking lot, before I got out of my patrol car. There was a dispatcher that sent out a message to everybody and said, Hey, everybody, it's be nice to your dispatcher day. It's National 911 day, right? 911, you call 911 for emergency. So she said, It's National 9-1-1 day, it's national, you know, be nice to your dispatcher day. Nobody thought anything. I love that. I was, oh, yeah, that's funny. Oh, wow, it's 911. Log off, put everything up, and then go home. And I went home and went to bed. My wife was a kindergarten teacher at the time and uh so she uh we kind of crossed paths every morning so i would come home go to bed she'd go to work and i remember um i went to bed that morning and i was sound asleep it didn't take me long to get sound asleep after working all night but i was sound asleep and and she called and this was before you know we had cell phones and stuff so um i know you don't remember those days (laughs) but she called the house phone woke me up and it was terrifying because her voice was terrified and the only thing she, she didn't even say hello. The only thing she said was, we're at war. We're at, when she's like screaming this. We're at war. We're at war. She said, get up, go look at the TV. We're at war. They're attacking or, or something. We're under attack or something like that. And, uh, and that was it. And then mm. like hung up. Wow. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> okay. So I got up and, um, you know, the house we had at the time was a real small house. And, and in order to get to the living room, you had to go, um, down a short hallway by the kitchen. And then you, there was like, um. I don't know what the, like a little den area or something, or in the in the front, and there we had these big, huge like like bay windows or something. It's real huge, and so I went down the short hallway by the kitchen, and I stopped before going into the den, and I and I really slowly just peeked around the wall <laughs> and looked out of the window. Just to see, do I see any is like
0: flames? smoke, yeah.
2: <laughs> fire, flames, bombs, uh, you know, or like there's a lot of images, you know, like red dawn as people parachuting right. into the country right. or what, what's going on. So I look around and, and of course it's sunny, it's clear, no problems there. So I kind of really like scrouch down and kind of kind of creep over to the TV so I can get the TV on. Uh, and that's where I spent the rest of my day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't go back to bed. Um. I believe that that and that was a Tuesday, so it would have been my, my my Friday, so I didn't have any have to come back to work for a couple of days, but um, so I stayed up and I watched, and my eyes were just glued to the TV. So by the time all this happened, though, I'm not really sure what time she called me, um, but the second plane had already hit the second tower, mm-hmm. so that's where I started watching television. And I know that um, a lot of reports, when the first plane hit, um, people thought it was like a little Cessna or something mm-hmm. or an accident, you know, some yeah. kind of some kind of just freak accident. And when the second plane hit, that's when everybody knew that this was not an accident anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, So as I'm watching television, then reports start coming out about um, the Pentagon um, being hit. And then reports coming out about um, uh, Shanksville, Pennsylvania, where Flight 93 hit the ground. And then um, there was other news reports kept talking about different planes that were unaccounted for here or there or whatever. And um, so I've been a police officer at this point in time for uh, two years. So really... Really new police officer, I really didn't know what to do at this point i was not i was just a patrol officer I didn't have any special homeland security response you know responsibilities or anything so mm-hmm. you know no, nobody called we didn't right. get, we didn't get full recall activation or anything like that and i think um a lot of that had to do with you know most people in my department were like everybody else in the country we were glued to our televisions yeah um threat levels went up everywhere um d f w airport was um severely secured if you will so i know we had a lot of our officers that went up there to do some security stuff too but i spent the day just watch, just glued to the tv like i think everybody else did um and and we are i don't know 1600 i think miles Hmm. from from anything that happened yeah um and but it it you know it was eerie because it wasn't long before the faa shut down all flights everywhere and so in a in a in a major metropolitan area like dfw where there's always a plane in the sky yeah we went days with no plane in the sky um and that was just very very weird um in in this place in this location to not hear any aircraft no helicopters no planes no cessnas no no little private air nothing you didn't hear anything it was just like dead air so um you know going back to work on the midnight shift dead air you know i mean what what's going on and so, so that day, that's all I remember about that day. Um, but I do remember coming back to work when, when they started letting planes fly again and working midnight shift. We got calls, and we ourselves called them in, too. Every time you saw a plane, uh, we know nothing about aviation. I don't know. I mean, I know a lot about aviation, but, you know, when I'm looking at a plane, I'm like, I don't even, it looks low to me. Okay, it looks <laughs> low, and it's heading to downtown. Man, we got so many of those calls. This plane looks low, it's heading toward downtown um but we we were watching that stuff all the time and seeing those kind of things and and it was but really patrol the way that we operated patrol and responded to calls and stuff none of that really changed we that was all the same but um but yeah we were always looking in the sky yeah and always just kind of but that was a I'll never forget that and other thing too um so Terry my wife. She actually found out that day that we were pregnant with our first daughter, Abigail.
0: Hmm. I was gonna ask if y'all had children yet.
2: Yeah, no, um, we didn't. She had a doctor's appointment scheduled for that day. Yeah. They didn't change it, they kept the appointment, so she went to the appointment. Um, I, I, guess, I guess, I don't know how she went there. I don't know if she went, was you know, trying to dodge the bombs as well. I don't know, you know cause she was pretty freaked <laughs> out when she called me, but right. she ended up going to the appointment that day, and that's when she found out that we were pregnant with my, with my daughter, who was, hmm. in, who was in born in May. So um,
0: that had to be like a flood of emotions on that day too. Then,
2: yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I should ask her about that. Yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I just I know that you know the the law enforcement side of me was really kicking in and trying to figure out what's what's next because mm-hmm. I don't think anybody thought this, this was done. Right. You know, you you just had four planes hit four different targets, and I don't think anybody thought we were we were out of the woods yet. We we thought there was a lot more to come. Um, I remember also thinking that day because earlier that year, and I can't remember exactly when, it seems like March or something, the movie Pearl Harbor came out. Mm. And that was earlier in the same year. And we, my wife and I went with some friends of ours to opening weekend to watch that movie. And I remember walking out of that theater. It's a great movie. Mm -hmm. And I remember walking out of that theater thinking to myself, I didn't tell anybody, but I remember thinking to myself, uh, man, we could never be sneak attacked like that again. With the technology that we have, the radar, you know, the the advanced technology, all the satellite imaging, the things that we have in this world, our country could never be surprise attacked like that again. Hmm. And and I remember on 9/11, watching the TV, I remember thinking, I remember telling myself that yeah. back when that movie came out, and I was like, oh my gosh, they did it! Wow, you know, they they used commercial jetliners. Um, and so anyway, but I learned years later, much more about that day and much more about the way things operate and, um, some of the things that, that may have caused it to, to happen the way it happened. And, and, you know, but anyway.
0: Yeah. So what has changed since that day? Um, like in regards to security of the United States and stuff like that.
2: So uh, everything. <laughs> oh yeah. No, it did, it did everything. I mean, it, the entire way that we think and operate as law enforcement, as firefighters, as, You know first responders to everything changed um and so i mean grant funding and federal funding stuff started coming in training was available left and right all over the place Um, they started to establish uh, fusion centers things that you know that people would be able to be able to share information with one another local state and federal agencies share information try to find you know the the little suspicious things that people are doing that might turn into something um, to try to get a better beat on that um they created the department of homeland security which was created out of they used 22 federal agencies that were already in existence and they combined them and that's how they made homeland security and so that's you know the actual department of homeland security has so many things under it right now um i I think they still sometimes don't know what they're doing because uh, i mean you have ice you have you know border patrol you have the intelligence components you have there's just so many pieces of dhs that are part of dhs um but all that was combined together um, and, a lot, and we got trained on response. Response was much different. Um, response and incident management handling. Um, because some of the things that came out of 9-11, so there was a um, report that came out called the 9-11 Commission Report. That's not the official name of it. It's a longer name than that. But everybody calls it the 9-11 Commission Report. And that, that was a group of um, people that investigated 9-11, the entire incident, beginning to end history and everything, with the intent to write their findings and so um when the 9-11 commission report came out there was a lot of things that spawned out of that one of the things that they said in that commission report was that you know our intelligence communities just weren't sharing information Um, had they shared specific information at specific times about specific people a lot of these guys might have been you know stopped Um, but they didn't share information local law enforcement it was difficult for local law enforcement to share information with federal agencies and stuff and so all of that changed, but then at the same time, there, there was that. There was the precursors that were not caught, but at the same time, you had a significant incident, two towers that were burning with debris and bodies and stuff just dropping, and, and then they had complete collapses. I mean, everybody knows the story, mm-hmm. but the response, how do we respond to that? Well, you had communications gaps. You had um, people didn't know where they were going or what they were doing. Some firefighters heard we need to go up the stairs, some firefighters heard we need to go down the stairs, you know, and so communication, there was communication gaps, Um, radio signals were were having trouble getting where they needed to get. Um, And so one of the things that was built out of that was this national way to manage incidents. It's called the National Incident Management System. And, you know, so we all gotten trained in that and how to do that and how to perform different roles and different functions and in, in actually responding to significant incidents to effectively reduce or mitigate the, the hazards that are gonna come out of that anyway and get people back to normal. So everything since 9-11 in the way that we work and think outside of just regular patrol response, everything else is, uh, has completely changed. Our thought process has changed, our mindset has changed and, and life has been geared toward terrorist activity since 9-11 for us so i would say we're more secure now
0: yeah
2: than we are i still think there's gaps
0: mm-hmm. but
2: i would say that we're we're more secure we're more prepared and it still it still kills me too to watch some of the youtube video it's all over youtube mm-hmm. you watch you can watch it all over again if you want to yeah. you know but for those of us who watched it that day um, it, it's just as terrifying to watch it mm-hmm. now as it as it was the day you watched it uh, but anyway so where am I at? Pentagon, there were 64 people on the plane, 125 people were killed inside the Pentagon. Um, the Twin Towers, 200, 2,973. I think the new, new number might be about 20 or so more than that now. 9-11 Commission reports at the time was 2,973 people. That includes firefighters, police officers, um, 343 New York firefighters lost their lives that day anyway uh 23 new york pd 37 port authority police port authority police 37 officers lost that day that is the most police officers lost in any department ever in one day yeah which i mean you can imagine and right. then new york pd was 23 and that was the second most police officers well lost and i just in think afterwards department
0: department too whenever you're you know like i think of like the logistics part of things of scheduling people and making sure you have enough people on shift to do all these things and cover all these things and then suddenly that those numbers are gone and I mean, how you fill those roles and continue with, like you said, these new threats and these new <clears throat> things that you're trying to therefore implement. And that had to be incredibly difficult.
2: Yeah, I, I can't even imagine that. All that on top of mm-hmm. the
0: grieving of losing your brothers and yeah, sisters. One of the
2: things that's trained now um, all across the country when I talked about incident management and response is um, contingency planning for that. So in other mm-hmm. words, when your resources are exhausted, what do you do? Yeah you know, like New York fire department, their resources were gone. Right. I mean, what do you do now? Um, I know that our agency, we sent, uh, several officers up to New York, um, to guard posts and on streets, as did many law enforcement agencies all across the country. Mm-hmm. So you had, a, you had a huge influx of law enforcement and firefighters from all across the country, moving into New York to support that effort. Yeah. Um, so you got it that way, but, today when you do incident management when you do planning and you know all that other stuff you have have to plan for resource management like that so
0: yeah there's a, a children's book called the little chapel that stood it talks about a church not too far from the towers and um, one of the lines in there that gets me every time it talks about the um, they'd come and they'd hang their their shoes on the fence posts and then they'd put on their boots and go to work and they talk about how many never came back and got their shoes. Um, but it's just a, it's a really interesting story to read.
2: Yeah. I can't remember the name of that um, church. I was in New York uh, about f- three months ago, I guess. And uh, on business, you know, so we went, got to tour a couple of sites and they took me to that church. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't remember the name of the church, but that is where, I mean, it was, it was essentially your first responder church is what mm-hmm. it was. So that's where they fed the first responders. They, they, um, took care of them but then they also the family could come and they would hang family or whoever would hang pictures mm-hmm. of the first responders on the fence the yeah. ones that are missing the ones that we can't find yet um they'll hang hang those on the fence to so yeah. people can start looking for them and help you know try to find them and stuff so I am curious what you remember in nine
0: I remember the teacher stepping out coming back in which i think that's a lot of kids my age remember mm-hmm. that like this her coming back in and her like her being gone for a long time her coming back in and then like them trying to explain stuff to us, but I don't remember how much they shared. Like, I really don't remember any of that part of it. Um, but I do remember when I got home, which I don't know if we got out early or anything like that, but I do remember when I got home, my mom had called and told me to lock the doors and like, you know, stay safe or whatever. Cause she was still at work. And so we were just home alone. And so I remember being scared and I remember like looking out my window, looking at all the planes. Like if there's any planes <laughs> flying overhead, I remember hiding behind my couch. Like, yeah, that's pretty much.
2: Did you turn on the TV at all?
0: Uh, I don't remember. I don't know. That's
2: that's what would have been on every channel. Yeah. At that time, for days. Yeah. That's all that was on TV. I any don't channel.
0: have a ton of memories from like early childhood, so I don't. I don't remember if I even turned the TV on. I, just, I do remember like the way our living room was set up with this L-shaped couch and I was hiding back here behind it and looking out that window. Mm. That's what I remember. Here at the Testament, we pray that the memories of those American lives lost in the attacks of 9-11 never be forgotten and that our men and women of public service and our military continue to receive the support they need to protect the homeland against threats both foreign and domestic. Stay safe.